You are listening to KALX Berkeley, 90.7 FM, University of California and listener-supported radio. And this is Method to the Madness coming at you from the Public Affairs Department here at CalEx, celebrating the innovative spirit of the Bay Area. I'm your host, Ali Nazar. And today in studio, we have with us a special guest, Rabia Keeble from the Women's Mosque here in Berkeley. Hi, Rabia. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. Um, And Rabia... Uh, has joined us today after launching uh, the mosque here in the last few weeks. So we're going to get into that in a little bit. But first, Ruby, I have a question for you, the same question I ask all founders of organizations. Sure. You have seen a problem. There are, usually people start something because there's a vacuum or a void. Right. So um, can you explain, please tell us what's the problem that your new organization is trying to solve? Wow. You know, it's a whole uh, list of things, actually, and it's not likely that Calbu Mariam is going to solve all of these problems. But at least we're opening up the conversation, and hopefully there will be a robust sort of conversation that continues on this topic. But some of the things that I, I believe have been issues for me personally uh in my journey as a Muslim, since I converted uh, 15 years ago, is, is mainly accessibility. Um, I never could figure out, now I, I know the Quran very well and, and Hadith and all this, but I never could figure out why women had to sit behind men if they were allowed in the same space at all. Second of all, why women were using separate entrances, sometimes uh, separate buildings, sometimes uh, not allowed at all to attend a mosque. But the places that I've been to right here in Berkeley, right here in the Bay Area, we still have mosques that do this. And I was like, I was not entirely a mosque hopper, I did settle in at one mosque where I I stayed there for some time. But there were times when I was invited to other places, and I was surprised. I was really surprised, you know, at the lack of accessibility to the imam, uh, to facilities. Uh, Quite often, you'd go to these women's areas, and they were not clean, uh, distressed-looking. Many of them were just very cut off. Uh, one place was just a room, a separate room, no plasma TV screen, no projection. It was just a separate room. And I, I recall asking someone like, well, how do you know what the imam is saying? How do you know when this is happening or that is happening? And I was actually told by one of the sisters that, well, you know, we don't really need to know, you know. And I think over time, perhaps not intentionally, you collect all of these things, you know. And it gets to the point where you even have a lot of questions. And where do you go to have your questions answered? The mosque that I attended, the women sat behind the men. But there was still an acknowledgement that we were separate. Um, But often the men would talk to the imam. They would ask questions there would be conversations going back and forth and the women are all the way in the back and it's like, what if I have a question? 
what if there's something that's nagging and I want to ask him about it? I can't just chat him up like these guys are chatting him up. I have to sit back here and then I have to wait until Juma's over. And I have to plow through all the men who are trying to get at him. And that means I don't get an opportunity. So I saw it also as just an issue of accessibility. Um, there's also, I think, a problem when you separate men and women, that men lose an opportunity to know women better, to actually learn from women. Um, you know, there's like sort of ships in the night. You know, if you even say salam alaikum to a brother, it's like, what did you just say? Well, you, you know, we're just exchanging a greeting, brother. It's nothing more than that, you know. But even that is sometimes chancy. So how do we establish, how do we establish like a normalized kind of uh, of interactions and normalized kind of relationship with our brothers? Is You know, a lot of people say, well, why do you want to kick men to the curb? Are you mad at men? This is not being mad at men. This is saying join us. But let's let's get together in a different way. Let's be allies. Let's be friends. Let's 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 ignore all these odd little things that are traditional things for sure. Uh that you can't talk to a woman unless it's your wife. You know, like what's gonna happen if you do that? Or uh I think maybe it was the Chronicle article where they talked to an imam in Santa Clara, like about men praying, potentially praying behind a woman. And I think his answer was, well, you can do it, but I don't want to see the repercussions. <laughs> I was like, holy mackerel, yeah. what, what repercussions are we talking about here? <laughs> yeah. Well, and there's so many different interpretations of all scripture. And I think, you know, enlightened Muslim men, will argue that something like the hijab is the first responsibility is on the man to avert his temptation and desire. There's lots of different ways to look at things. I think that the, uh, that imam, you know, who knows where he's coming from. But, I have um, no idea. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I think I, I want to follow up on that question is, is, is a beautiful statement of, of the problem statement you're trying to solve. Is I think what I, I think I'm hearing you say is that the, the mosque that you're starting in Berkeley is to rethink that relationship between men and women and have them on an equal playing field in the eyes of God and in front of an imam so that everybody can pursue or their imama. imama. Is that what you, is it the feminine of imam? Okay. So um, to everybody can be an equal footing to pursue their spiritual right. enlightenment. Um, but before we get further into the vision and how sure. this is going, tell us a little bit about you. How did you uh, arrive to Islam and and you know, what was your journey to, to this religion? <laughs> That's pretty complicated, but I'll try and kind of like reduce it into a digestible portion. Um, I was some nominally raised as a Christian. Uh, my family was not very religious, although we, you know, grew up with a lot of religion around us. We didn't belong to a church, uh, but I absorbed a lot of the uh, Christian, you know, lifestyle, knowledge, ethics, because we were surrounded with it. Um, I would say that uh, I was always interested in scripture. 
even at a very young age. Uh, I was always very interested in knowing more. I wanted to know God. I really, I re really recall being very young and wanting to know who God was. And I really thought that I could find it in the Bible. And I would read the Bible and read the Bible and read the Bible. And I actually, at a very young age, knew the Bible incredibly well. I could quote it. Um, but that was my, you know, that was my initial journey. And I think like a lot of young people, you know, you wander off the path, you start exploring life in different ways. And religion is not a big deal for, for most, you know, college kids and whatever. They're not thinking about that. They're thinking of other stuff. And so I think I was like any other adolescent or teenager. I sort of didn't care. And um, <clears throat> there came a point in my life when I was looking for something, healing, another path, I don't know. And I actually came across a flyer at Berkeley Library, the main library, that said Sufi healing. <laughs> and I was like, hmm, I don't even know what Sufi is. I don't. I wonder what this is. I had time. So I said, I'm going to check it out. And I came up on campus, and um, I went to this gathering. And even though I was not really sure what was happening, I really loved the people I was around. I had never been around people who were so welcoming, so kind, and it appeared so forgiving and loving. They weren't af afraid to show love and to pull me in and to, and to, you know, acknowledge my humanity. Does that make sense? And to treat me honestly and fairly, even though I was asking stupid questions, which I was asking a lot of at the time. And eventually, um, you know, exposure to Sufism absolutely exposes you to Islam because Sufism is Islam. <coughs> Excuse me, getting over a cold. And um, with the exposure to Islam through Sufism, I sort of, it felt like something had opened up to me, you know, really beautiful. It was like, it was very unusual. It was like, what is this wonderful thing? <coughs> and so, <clears throat> you know, many people see Islam and Sufism as separate. And it's just not so. And um, I think if you're really a lover, as Sufis would say of the beloved, it makes you want to dig deeper into Islam, you know, to find the roots of this, how these people, whoever they were, were able to tap into this very unique and wonderful way of expressing their worship and their love of God. Um, I didn't know until later that in some places Sufism was looked down upon. Um, and I didn't understand it. I never could understand it. Uh, I would hear things like, oh, they dance. That's haram. They use music. That's haram. The men and women dance together. That's even more haram. And I, it's like, a gosh, you know, what kind of existence is that where all you're doing is looking for things to yell haram at? Yeah, which is unfortunately... 
very much so much part of the Muslim world these days is that's how they operate is you know it's a judgment and you know uh, you know I'm as a Muslim myself um, it's a tragedy to see the characterization of the religion that's happened in popular culture today because it's the antithesis of what you're talking about it's not the love base of my tradition that I grew up in was very much similar to you know looking at uh, the, the world through wondrous eyes through the love the beloved spirit um, as opposed to this uh, the absolute opposite the negativity of like you're doing this wrong you're doing this wrong which turns people off to religion many turns people. people off it does it's, it's, it's kind of a, a weird paradox you would think it would turn people off and you think it would push women back and make them like it, what really you know think a little bit <clears throat> you see just the opposite you see these women that are so willing to be controlled so willingly following even very mistaken and misguided people in a lot of cases. Not all sheikhs and imams are misguided, but in a lot of cases they are. And I'm just so shocked sometimes when uh, women act so afraid or they will come to me and they will say, well, sister, what makes you think that it's okay to pray with men or for women to lead prayer? I say, the Quran, have you read it? You know? And they're always, you know, like very suspicious, like, really? But the Quran says that, you know, a great, the great majority of people that I talk to have never read the Quran for themselves. They've always had someone tell them what's in it. Interesting. And they're spent on it, as a matter of fact. And so this is one of the biggest problems, I think, that we run into as Muslims is that it's always like I feel like there is this desire to spin things to maintain control rather than to educate, rather sure. than to elevate. I had this conversation with someone, I forget who, and he was insisting that a man could not marry a divorcee, right? And I was thinking to myself, I said, but where's that in the Quran? I don't know. <laughs> no, if a woman's divorced, you can't marry her. Well, I'm sorry, but wasn't Khadijah a yeah, divorcee? The prophet married a divorced woman. A divorced woman. <laughs> you know, haram, haram, yeah. you know? Ridiculous. But there's so many people, <clears throat> women, <laughs> Who don't know that? Yeah, they don't know that he had like up to nine wives in his lifetime, maybe more, and a few of them were widows or divorcees. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's becoming very clear that education is such a huge, huge part of this, and women necessarily have to start educating women and men. Because we're not as tied to status quo as men are. I think men feel like they have to carry this. They, they have to continue it. They, they, they have to do this thing with this. But it's like, okay, you know, after a while, don't you understand that this is something you can share? That it's okay to talk to a knowledgeable, educated sister or maybe one who isn't but has good questions and that 
you can sit and talk and not worry about who's married and who's wearing hijab and who's this and that and the other thing and just work on that because we're in a we're in a situation here in America all over the world where the world thinks of us as bad people they think of us as terrorists they think of us as people who want to destroy their comforts and to change how I had some some woman ask me she goes well I just don't want to have any Sharia law <laughs> I said well are you Muslim no I am not I said then you don't have to worry about it <laughs> because it's not for you it's for Muslims yeah well right? that's a talking point of the right I mean it's, it's a scare tactic but we're talking to Rabia Akil she's Akibal she's the founder of uh, Kalbu Maryam is that how you pronounce it? Um, it's uh, a brand new mosque <laughs> here in Berkeley, California, um, and it is the um, first mosque in the nation that is led all by inclusive. women. That is all inclusive, so it's uh, open to men and women, but led by women. Right here in our fair town of Berkeley, California. Thanks for joining us, Rubia. Um, Yay, Berkeley! Uh, I want to ask you about um, you know you're an innovator. And it's not always this is this show is about innovation. Okay. And it's not always um, easy to innovate. In the business world, I've talked to a lot of people, it's kind of put up on a pedestal because, you know, people love this from especially in the Bay Area to disrupt and have startups. But you're innovating in a place that people don't always love in right. religion. It's a, right. you know, people have their dogma and you're talking about men who have trouble seeing um, why there's problems because it's kind of always been this way. And in my experience with religion, people rely on their tradition. That's one of the comforts of religion. Sure. So it's always been this way. It right. doesn't change. Absolutely. Um, so I want to ask you about that leap that you've taken. If you, <sighs> you saw the problem and said, you know, why are the sisters behind the brothers? Why can't they talk to the imam? So you decided to do something about it. And I'm, I'm fascinated by this in people who take this jump from seeing a problem to actually doing something about it. Can you explain to us what what spurred that notion in you that you need to do something about this? Well, <clears throat> I didn't think I needed to do something about it. I felt like somebody needed to do something about it, and I waited. I actually waited, and I would... You know, I also tried to be the obedient Muslima. I really did. I, I was, you know, I'd sit and watch stuff go down and not say anything because I was afraid of backbiting. And I did all of that stuff. And, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, but I waited. You know, I was patient with it. And <clears throat> honestly, I believe that it's kind of a divine intervention. I, d I don't think by myself that I would have done this because I would have been afraid. But I think that God has basically been with me throughout this. I've, I've felt it. I felt led. Um, the way things were sort of falling into place was just unbelievable. And the support... Um, I'm sure there's elements in the Muslim community that wanted me to fail. I have no doubt about it. There are people in the Muslim community that see me as an upstart and troublemaker and all that. I get that. Uh, 
because I also address very powerfully racism and uh, all those other things that we don't ever want to talk about. Polite Muslims don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But that said, I don't think it was me. I think it was God. I think this will, uh, it will be successful or fail based on God's timing, not mine. Um, I decided from the beginning to step out of it, to not have my ego engaged in it. And I, I there's been times, um, there was a reporter from Al Jazeera last week, and she was insisting. She says, well, I cannot film. There's no men here. There's only women here. How is this inclusive if there's no men here? I said, because I don't hire people to come. <laughs> It's like any other mosque. Whoever wants to come, comes. Whoever doesn't want to come, they don't come. So I said, I'm sorry, I can't help you. She says, okay, I'll come next week. And can can you get some brothers, call some brothers and tell them? <laughs> I was like, subhanAllah. Anyway. <clears throat> well, um, let me ask you about... Um, <laughs> Um, a more general question for our listeners, probably most of them are not Muslims, that don't understand the importance of the mosque to Muslim life. And um, and, and we're speaking with uh, Rabia Kibol. She's the founder of Kaldu Maryam, a, a women's mosque, all-inclusive mosque that started here in Berkeley uh, in April, I think. Is, when, is that when you launched officially? Yes. So just last month, right here in Berkeley. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about what is the importance of the mosque, and why is it so important to have one that uh, matches the kind of ethos you're talking about? Well, I don't know exactly what you want me to say here, but um, the way I see a mosque, and having been exposed to Christianity and the way Christians do things, especially black Christians and black Christian women, for me, a place of worship is part of my life. As a woman, I didn't see myself excluded because in Christianity, the, the type that I grew up with, Southern Baptists, women were not excluded. Women were leaders, so oftentimes pastors or doing very important things. So coming into Islam, I didn't leave that behind. That's part of me. Where if I'm in a worship situation, I'm looking for female leadership as well as male, right? Um, I believe that mosques are community-oriented mainly. Uh, In the West, it can't really be that way because we don't have neighborhoods around, you know, people will drive an hour to get to the mosque or whatever. You don't just walk over and it's not the center of the, the village or the city or whatever. But I believe the intention is it was that. And it was the place where you would go to hear the news, to hear announcements, um, to hear the word, to hear, hear inspiration, um, to ask questions, whatever, you know, it was in that gathering space. <clears throat> Was it original? The question is: Is was it originally conceived of as a place where men and women attended jointly? Uh, no, probably not, because that was not the culture. 
of the time. Of Arabia in the 600s. It was very, very, very gender, you know, uh, specific about things. You know, only women did these things, only men did these things, and blah, 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 you know, the whole thing. So I think that this was seen as a male space, but that was because that was what it was like in Arabia in the 7th century. Yeah. Very divided, very, very... uh, you know, assignments uh, for gender, that which informed, I think, other things. But uh, now in the 21st century here in America, how does that model work for us? And I would say it doesn't work so well. Yeah. It's not the reality of our everyday life as it was then. We go to work, we mix. We go to the store, we stand behind or in front of somebody who's of the opposite gender. Um, we drive down the street, we go to the gas station, whatever, everything that we do. It's mixed. It's mixed. Yep. <coughs> so I think what I'm hearing you say is the importance of the mosque is to reflect the society that we live in to build a community uh, of, of worshipers, yeah. of Islamic worshipers, yeah. but reflective of more of our times. Yeah. And, and which is... I think the problem you're trying to solve, which is so appropriate, it is an innovation that's needed. And the bravery that you're showing to stand up and and do it is really amazing and inspiring. So thank you so much, Rubia. I really appreciate uh, you coming here. I wanted to ask you one last question. Sure. Um, you've created, you're creating a space. Right. And what struck me, I went to one of your launch events, was the diversity of people that were there. Yeah. Um, so can you tell me maybe one or two stories of your favorite things that have happened so far, surprises to you? Because you're creating a space of worship for people to come and express yeah. things that maybe they haven't been able to express anywhere else because you've created this safe, di- wonderful, diverse space. Yeah. Well, what's what what's happened to you so far that you've been like, wow, that was, that was amazing? Well, I tell you, the whole time I've been like, wow. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I fully expected that nobody would show up. I fully, I did. <laughs> I fully expected that, you know, the word would get out, don't go over there, don't do that, because Rabia's doing whatever it is. But it didn't turn out that way, because God is guiding this. And um, I think one of the most powerful things, it wasn't a big thing. There was a, 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 a brother who came to one of the Jumas, and uh, I had done the call to prayer. I had called the Azan, and I had never done it before in my life. <laughs> I had not. But you know, that tells you something, right? That I was exposed to it enough that I knew it. Yeah. And Juma, for those who don't know, is the Friday prayer, the, the Friday Sabbath prayer. of, of uh, Muslims. Right. <clears throat> and this brother said to me, w- one thing that we're doing uh, is that after Salat, Instead of everybody bolting, leaving, I ask questions. I say, do you have questions? I want you to talk about what's on your heart. I want you to ask questions. And um, this brother raised his hand and he said, you know, I really like this because I want my wife to be with me in worship. I want her and the kids sitting next to me. I had never thought of that. I really had never thought that that might be something that's very supportive and comforting for a man, is to have his wife next to him, and it really touched me. 
Yeah, that's a beautiful story. I'll share with you what really inspired me was as someone who's a Muslim but also loves music. Um, when I went to one of your launch events, um, you had a convert who got up there and talked about how she had missed gospel music from when she was uh, growing up as a Christian. And so she decided to incorporate gospel music into Islam and then did an Islamic prayer in a gospel way. Yeah, she which did. Which <laughs> just blew my mind. And my wife and I looked at each other like, this is the place for us. This is amazing. Although we don't do that. In Juma, we don't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a <clears throat> that was an initial launch. But it was, I think, part of the, the spirit, which is that you're creating yes. a safe place for people to express themselves in an Islam that hasn't been easy to do in my lifetime. Um, so it's it's amazing, amazing innovation. This the store this this show is about innovation, and uh, I especially like having spiritual uh, people on the show to talk about. They're helping to forge new paths in the Bay Area. So we've been speaking with uh, Rabia Kibel. She is the founder of Kalbu Mariam. It is a women's all-inclusive mosque here in Berkeley. Just started. Rabia, if people want to get involved, they want to attend a service, if they want to join the congregation, how can they do that? They can do that by fri- Fridays at 1230 <clears throat> at 2441 Lacan Avenue at the Graduate Theological Union, Starking School of the Ministry, which is only a block or two from UC Berkeley. Um, you can join us and um, the doors are open. Please join us. So 12.30 on Fridays Fridays. at the uh, Graduate Theological Union. Star King School of the Ministry, 2441 Lacan. Great. And thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you for having me. Uh, Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. And uh, best of luck. Okay, and you've been listening to Methods of the Madness on KALX Berkeley, 90.7 FM. I'm your host, Ali Nazar. Have a great Friday, everybody.